Broadcasting from Edith Keeler's Soup Kitchen, this is Politrex. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ. Welcome, everyone, to Politrex, your friendly neighborhood political Star Trek podcast. My name is Barry DeFord, and I am very happy to be joining my often imitated, never replicated co-host, Shashank Avaru, as we always do. Shashank, how are you doing tonight? Namaste, homo sapiens. I am doing great, and it is uh, wonderful and frankly relieving to talk to you, Barry, because now that we are separated by sound barriers and... This alliance is over and Canada is territory non greta. I am happy we can essentially smuggle our own audio channel so we can talk to each other secretly. Yes, this is actually being sent over shortwave tachyon emissions uh, that have been encrypted three times over by the greatest Cardassian spies of the Obsidian Order. So if this has managed to find it to you, it's not a fake. Yeah, it's uh, for everybody else in the world, this is dead space. But just for you guys, we are breaking international laws by just essentially deconstructing and breaking down all of the US-Canada ties. And I, I am betraying my fearless leader by talking to you, Barry, but I do it out of love for you. I appreciate that, sir. And it will not be forgotten when the immortal and sizable Canadian troops ruthlessly invade the United States of these Americas. So uh, be prepared that um, we like you, Shashank. Your death will be swift. Oh, that is all I can hope for. Death by horse riding, maple syrup drinking Mounties. That was the nightmare and the dream. Yes, we're saving the uh, beaver attack army for most of the uh, the eastern seaboard uh, because there's lots of uh, lots of hardwooded trees there that they can use to uh, gnaw down and use as their battle axes and clubs and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the the west coast will mostly be uh, uh, grizzly bears, but uh, right down right down the middle it will be uh, horse riding, maple syrup wielding mounties. So Arkansas, prepare. And, uh, yeah, they will apologize to you, though, before they take over. <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, how tired do you think our listeners are of our over-exaggerated, insane, but not entirely illogical uh, metaphors and representations of this newfound enmity between U.S. and Canada? Well, I think the only enmity that is really happening is is the, the fellow at the helm seems to have a problem with our fellow at the helm. And, uh, well, I guess that's just how she goes. You know, folks, I have to say, being on the other side of the parallel has been uh, all well and good, but at the same time, it is wonderful to get to share Star Trek with so many wonderful people. No matter what country they come from, no matter what border they must cross, we all meet at the same place, and that is Star Trek. There is something very oddly comforting about having so much entertainment to consume from a franchise that's set two, three hundred years from now and takes place in a universe that is almost entirely pun intended alien from the world that we are in today. So really it's 
I'm just glad we have started. That's really all we can be thankful for this weekend. You're right. And you know what? If you want to share in that fandom and that enjoyment, you can always call into the show and talk to us at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. And uh, if you also, you can also see if you can find us online. We're not very hard to catch. Where, where would you find us, Shashank? You can find us on at Polytrex on Twitter. That's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. Our Facebook page has the same name, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. And if, you're, uh, if you have some extra love to share, also follow at Tricorder Show. That's T-R-I-C-O-R-D-E-R-S-O. H-O-W. That's our uh, mother network and the network that we all are a proud part of. That is very right. We are Politrex on the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network, and we have many other fabulous shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. There's Shore Leave, Drawing Trek, Trek Ranks, Trek Profiles, Disco Trek, Reading Trek, Weekly Trek. It's insane that uh, that we have so many wonderful uh wonderful shows so if there's uh, there's something for everyone here so you can also support us on patreon as well if you do want those shows to keep running it's always good to uh, send a, a buck or two our direction we're always happy to have that keeps the uh, the shows uh, up and going and like it sort of seems to be with a lot of patreon content if you want to hear some extra fun insider things some early recordings some raw recordings shashank and my uh, banter and also participate in hangouts this is the way to do it is via via patreon so do subscribe if you find yourself with a little bit of extra money you can send our way it just definitely helps make sure that we can keep creating all this wonderful content speaking of keeping the show running Apparently, we have trouble keeping one of our biggest shows, The Show of Democracy, running because the ratings are at an all-time low. And this fascism thing that used to be on the black and white channel seems to be catching back up again. Spoiler alert, things aren't great. Keep, keep Stick around and you'll find out more in our new segment. Welcome back, everybody. Now, while you were listening to those sweet, sweet synthy sounds, you might have been pondering to yourself, has fascism come back from the past? Or perhaps it's sustained itself quietly in numerous countries around the world that may not define themselves as the West. I'm thinking Chile, Argentina. I'm thinking of uh, several African countries that have fallen victim to this and Currently, we're looking at versions of it taking place in Turkey, almost immediately after the Second World War in Greece, um, and many other countries that I haven't even named. So in that respect, I would wonder perhaps if we're really looking at a low burn, a sustained burn that's taken place over a long period of time, and perhaps it's being manifest in some sort of way by a few comments made at the G7 summit. We, of course, have Mr. Trump arriving late, and then 
wishing that our uh, his his friends the uh, the Russians should be reinstated into the G7. Now, that's not an indication of fascism by any stretch of the imagination, but it is definitely indicative of maybe something we would have seen with Goldacott when he had taken over Cardassia and of course we end up seeing really what's happening is the founders are running things from the from behind the curtain, shall we say. And more and more people start realizing that, uh, namely Damar, as he starts seeing how much puppets they are in their own world. And I wonder if some case, perhaps there are people within, uh, within the United States who are worried that such a statement could be indicative of what was happening to our good friend, the Gull, eventually Legate Ducat. Season 2, Episode 2, the original series, Who Wants for Adonis? There is this larger-than-life Greek god Apollo who keeps telling the adventurous, insane humans not to keep going to his temple because he keeps putting out this idea that they aren't actually too pure for the temple, but the truth is destroying that temple would destroy him. And bringing that to this G7, Trump saying that Russia should be back in the G7, how much clearer can people make collusion? Just the idea that there is this guy who clearly is being puppeted by people that are not in the picture, that are sitting in the temple, and all you need to do to stop him is find that connection between him and the temple and destroy it, is the idea that there are so many people who are okay with being gaslighted and being blinded to the obvious truth and obvious inherent conclusions, it just boggles my mind. But coming back to the news part of it, it's ridiculous because G7 is supposed to be a peaceful trade summit and Russia invaded Crimea. Which isn't terribly peaceful, last I checked. And of course, Crimea has a bit of a sordid past in the sense that Khrushchev gave it over to, no, sorry, not Khrushchev. Um, Gorbachev gave it over, I believe, to Khrushchev or Gorbachev, and I can't remember. So, folks online, please look this up. One of the Chevs. One of the Chevs, missing each other by a long period of time. One has a large birthmark on his head, and the other one has the stain of the Cuban Missile Crisis on his head. Um, but anyways, yeah, they gave over basically economic control, and eventually that would become political control of the Crimea to Ukraine. Of course, Ukraine and Russia have had a intertwined history through most of uh, of civilization's history in that area. Of course, Kiev used to be the capital of the Russian Empire. So we do have some connections there uh, to some degree. But yes, this is... Uh this is probably a good reason if you if you illegally invade another country, eh, maybe you should probably get booted off the G7 for a little while. What is even worse is that not only did he make those comments, but he essentially made a fool of the United States of America as a country and as a leader in the G7 by walking back his support for the most basic non-actionable of documents, a communique, a press release, movies put out press releases, that this summit went well. Just a communique that said this went well and we're going to take things further into the future, that he walked that back using Justin Trudeau as some kind of excuse. That seemed so sketchy and it's so obviously, almost laughably foolish it's like something quark would do except if quark was stupid 
<laughs> Except if Korg was stupid. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's been some shade being thrown back and forth here between Trump and Trudeau uh, due to aluminum and steel trade. There's been tariffs put down by the United States to uh, quote unquote protect um, United States interests. For some reason, of course, tariffs and, and these kinds of trade wars are usually indicative of a large economic collapse looming over the horizon. Now, now we, we will say, well, 2008's already happened. Well, yeah, they seem to be happening a lot sooner. The uh, the boom and bust cycle seems to be a little bit on uh, like sort of like a heart monitor rather than something a little less in that respect. So I don't know. I think that uh, that you mentioned gaslighting a moment ago. I think what better way to turn everybody's heads than take a pot shot at the quote unquote nice guy uh, in the hemisphere, Canada, and saying, you know, oh, well, they burnt down our White House. Of course, quick point of fact, point of information, folks, the British Army burnt down the uh, American White House <laughs> after the Americans burnt down a parliament building being used by British colonists in an area called Upper Canada, which was merely a colony's name, not a country's name. So he ac- he actually accused Canada of doing something 55 years before it existed. Free information from our Canadian friend and beaver enthusiast, Barry DeFord. I'm not going to touch that one, but uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, yeah, I, I guess like for me, what what is the G seven? Right, it's it's a it's a uh, the economic leaders of the world, right, coming around and 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 making decisions. But I mean, if if we've if we've uh, and when I say the the economic leaders, I'm talking about countries. But we could get that mixed up by the fact that you know really Trump is trying to represent more of the corporate individual leaders of of the of America and the world, right? I mean, of course. Putin is surrounded by his quote-unquote oligarchs, um, why then wouldn't Trump be? And I guess when you have a person who, again, gets gaslighted as this amazing, wonderful person, and I'm about to throw some shade here, which might get some shade thrown at us, Shashank, so DeFord is taking this one on personally. Elon Musk just purchased a bunch of flamethrowers when 3% of his entire worth could fix the Flint, Michigan water problem in three seconds. So if he wants to make life better for people, stop trying to make batteries and start cleaning the damn water. Anyways, what I would say more than anything there is Trump is actually proving a really good point. He can totally derail and stall with being just sort of a jerk and still get his entire agenda done. And Russia will get its agenda done too. So doing all this sort of stuff, I wonder if this is just a massive dodge. And I mean, the king of all dodges, again, I would go back to Mr. Goldicott. He can come out looking like a really nice guy, zig when you think he's going to zag, and still manage to go through with the plan that he had. Like, I mean, look at the swath he cut before he got thrown into the pit of fire. I, again, this is another one of those places where I just haven't had enough time to come up with some way to get out of the the loophole that I'm stuck in in my head. But why would U.S. want to pick a war with Canada? Any kind of war, trade war, ideological war, war of words. Why Canada? Canada is the friendliest, most diplomatic, most passive, nicest nation in the world. That's that's you can take that to the bank. You can claim my name on that one. I don't care. But what it's it's like if I was to use the Star Trek analogy, it's like if the Enterprise thinks it's a good idea in the middle of deep space exploration to break up into two parts 
and just continue off as the other part and thinking they'll actually come back to Starfleet safe and sound. I guess like living in Canada, um, Canada is the nice guy, right? And and it is the unassuming American hat. And yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of great Twitter banter that I've been in about, you know, um, you know, where are sharks with lasers? No, no, we've got beavers with, you know, nunchucks or something, you know, and it's really funny and all this sort of stuff. But I think, I think really, like, first of all, I'm going to say Canada is not without its its problems. We just voted no on the UN appeal for indigenous or Aboriginal rights around the world. Canada voted no on that. And two conservative uh, members of parliament high-fived when they voted no on it. So I would say very much that, that Canada maybe has a bit of an undeserved title. But also I would say again, and, and just to reiterate the point, this shows just how much contempt Trump has for any institution not of his own. And yeah, I mean, he definitely has a little man syndrome against uh, Justin Trudeau. I mean, Shashank, you, you were talking about the, uh, um, you know, obviously Trudeau is a handsome man. He's he's probably intact in all places and has an entire head of hair. So of course Trump doesn't like him on that personal level. But the fact that he can just focus on the personal, he can just focus on that sort of stuff is for me the most frustrating. Um, because it just shows that that we can we can be distracted by this, and it concerns me. It, it, you mentioned TOS. I, I'm thinking of the Apple, right? The people living in a world that they're being kept down in, and they don't even know they're there. And what does it take? I mean, we need a Captain Kirk to come from the sky right now and and tell us what's really going on because it's bad. And you're right, Shashank. It's not going to get better. The analogy that I was making specifically with Barry before we started recording is that Justin Trudeau is essentially the white Obama. He has no dark past. He's a very well-educated, very typically national level, high public figure politician that the entire world seems to like. Of course, there is good and bad that happens behind and it did for both Obama and Trudeau. But the fact that there is immediate public charm that Justin Trudeau can draw on by the billions does irk Trump and he does not do a good job of hiding it. He clearly shows it on his Twitter face and his real face when he's interacting with him. But it's also in a weird way justified because that's what people elected him for. Not the majority, but people did elect him because he was the one who was saying, Essentially, Obama's bad. Hillary's bad. Look at them. All they do are these are these elite activities that other people do not do. And there is an argument that can be made that Justin Trudeau is an, a member who took advantage of nepotism, that got into politics because of his family, that got into this high power place because of it. And to to his fans, to Trump's fans. This all makes complete sense. And that's why the gaslighting works even better is because just the idea of truth and fact is so varied and volatile now. And it's interesting that we're talking about this in an episode in which we're going to talk about fandoms. But everything is so definable that you can go find your version of the truth and just ignore what the real truth is. 
just like Romulans. Romulans are really good at that. They're they're experts in reconnaissance and that episode face of the enemy that we always keep coming back to in our show because we love it so much. There are so many people that keep defining good and bad in that episode and every everything keeps keeps changing by the minute. And I feel like I am just Troy stuck in that place and I, I don't think I'm brave enough like her to get out of it unscratched. You know, you're right. And 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 she had to she had to take on different personality traits mm-hmm. to to be that thing. She had to take a lot of risks. There was a couple of Hail Mary throws that Troy threw in that episode and and you know, thankfully she had a crew to trust who would help her as well and you know, her own wits plus the fact that she has the Enterprise D crew, um, I think definitely gave her that shot in the arm. You know, um, Troy's no fool. Troy's no idiot. She knows how to handle herself. She did. But uh, yeah, if, if that went wrong, I mean, all it would have taken was one disruptor fire and that would have been that. So think, folks, um, to just continue wildly throwing Star Trek references at you, but I feel like this is why you're here. Um, this was sort of a nice blood wine to the gah that we're about to tell you about in our main topic. Welcome everyone to our main topic today. It's really more of a discussion that might not be limited to just Star Trek, but I think it's one that is important to have. It's the idea of toxic fandom. And as a show that covers both politics and Star Trek, I thought it would be a good idea if we talked about the parallels between fandom in politics and fandom in franchises like Star Trek and Star Wars. The topic has become even more immediate because of everything that's been happening in the last couple of months with people in Star Trek claiming to gatekeep the franchise, with people saying that Discovery does not deserve to even exist and almost having an online hate presence against the show and targeting specific people from the show. And going out of that Star Trek bubble, everything that's been happening with Kelly Marie Tran, forcing her off Instagram because she was in a movie they didn't like. All of these events culminated in just Barry and I having a heart-to-heart about how, as people who are political enthusiasts, we found so many things that are common between politics, the fandom for politics and franchises and the fran- and the fandom for franchises. And essentially today we'll be talking about that. We'll be sharing with you the parallels that we found in between both of these. And we'll see if there is any good that can come out of all this. Did I, did I cover that up pretty well, Barry? Yeah, definitely, Shashank. And this is something that, uh, you know, there are some really good safe places online. There, there are different groups where the moderators are a lot, um, a lot more strict about that kind of trolling atmosphere. Um, I would definitely point everyone uh, over to the uh, unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas page, who uh, that is, of course, connected with the Tricorder Transmissions 
that uh, definitely does try to keep away a lot of that negativity and focus on a lot more of the positive. So the good thing is, is we can find places where people can go feel a little bit uh, more just welcome and able to talk about what they're what they're interested in, but know that it is, it can be difficult to find out who's there to troll and who isn't. And sometimes conversations can pick up and slow down and stuff. And I 100% expect to uh, to hear back from from some people who may perhaps disagree with us and, and whatnot. But remember, uh, if you do, uh, keep it civil. And if you don't, I'll block you. And that would be a good place to start, is if people just disagreed with us, we've had people who've disagreed with us. We get those messages on Twitter all the time. We get those posts on Twitter all the time. We're okay with that. But if somebody starts attacking you, say, for example, or me saying, hey, you are of a certain race that's not my race, so let's get into that. And they turn that into an argument. I guess that is that is where that toxic fandom element comes in, right? And just to preface, there is a public figure in Star Trek. I don't want to take his name, but that person recently said that he wants to gatekeep Star Trek and all the young kids should get out because they don't really represent Star Trek. And more recently, it just for the one person who has not heard the story in full, Kelly Marie Tran, the actress who played Rose in the latest Star Wars episode movie, was just caught off Twitter because she was getting a lot of racist hate for portraying a character in a movie they didn't like. So this is in a time where we are so politically charged. It's not a coincidence. And some of this political fandom ideology has bled over into the franchise fandom ideology. And really, that's where the first parallel comes in, is Barry, I think that when people become a fan of something, be it politics or franchises, the way they become that fan is they make that particular concept that they like tangible by defining it. So for a less hateful version would be, I am a fan of Star Trek because I only like DS9, is somebody's definition of Star Trek. For that person, they probably would never even bother to see anything else. And for them, their definition of Star Trek is DS9. In political party, it's very similar. It's somebody who says, I am a Republican, but I'm not a Trump Republican. I am a George Bush Republican. And that definition is really where all this toxicity starts. Am I am I good so far? You think you think you can you can follow that thread with me? I can definitely follow that thread. And as we move forward, folks, just so you know, I'm going to take you on a very deep dive in that respect of of my political philosophy. And uh, just to kind of draw that forward, but let's let's pull this out a little bit more, Shashank. I, I like where you, I like where you're going with it in the sense that you're saying that when somebody discovers a fandom. Uh, or they discover something with which to identify themselves, they need to immediately define that thing in a specific way in order to sort of own that identity. That's what I'm getting from you. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. So this leads to the second parallel in which when somebody finds this particular definition of the franchise they like or the political party they like, it immediately becomes susceptible for those people to congregate either in a real location or a virtual location where they say, we are DS9 fans. Let's all create a DS9 fan group. 
and let's just call this only DS9 fans allowed, no other Star Trek fans are allowed, this only exists purely to fulfill our DS9 needs, all other Star Trek is immaterial. In politics, that would be people who say hashtag MAGA and all other Republicans are idiots. Senator John McCain has no idea what he's talking about. There is no such thing as Republicanism anymore. It's all Democrats and they're all colluding with the Russians and they're all racist. And the only truth that exists is this idea that it's Trump's America now. And I'm going to go create my own group where we just talk about these things and you essentially use your franchise or your definition of politics to divide and congregate. So to follow in with that, these sort of groups, right, the the groupings that take place. So I'm going to start just a bit of this as we kind of move into this journey. So when I was younger, uh, I grew up in a relatively religious and conservative family. And just throughout my high school experience, I went to a performing and visual arts school. Um, I ended up uh, dating someone whose uh, older brother was quite in with what was called the New Democratic Party of Alberta and Canada, and they're definitely the more left-wing. They're a little further left than the Democrats, I would say, just for American reference. And I got involved with them, and I found a lot in common with my values, and I would identify as a New Democrat for a long period of time. But as I started kind of moving into university and eventually now getting my master's degree, I've had enough experiences that I definitely would say that I skew a bit further to the left than the uh, the New Democrats, where I think of, you know, um, sort of more Marxist Marxist ideology um, and and philosophy and uh, and stuff like that in politics. So where does that place me? Because when I started realizing how I wanted to understand my own viewpoints, I started looking at all the different types of Marxism, critical theory, anarchism, socialism. And you know what, Shashank, you're absolutely right. I found little tiny spheres of different places, like groups who would call themselves Marxist-Leninists or Trotskyists, or um, they would call themselves anarchists or anarcho-syndicalists or anarcho-egoists. And there's all these like shatter points that kind of go further and further down. And I think you're, I think you're very much onto something, even in the terms of people who say like, well, I'm into science fiction or I'm into fantasy or I'm into speculative fiction, right? Even that breaks down, you know, because there's the people who like Harry Potter, there's the people who who like Battlestar Galactica, Babylon 5, Stargate, um, Star Trek, Star Wars. And and then, you know, there's always sort of a bit of a, um, you know, well, I like this better than that or something. And that kind of, again, kind of turns you or, or pushes you in a different direction. So if I was to talk to someone and say, well, like, well, you know, you know, I, I like Marx. I'm a Marxist, I guess, but I'm, I'm more of an anarcho-syndicalist because I really like the Zapatistas or something, you know, or, or I'm more of a, a muni- uh, you know, like a municipalist or something. You know, I listen to Bookshin and really, really like the uh, the Kurds in Rojava. Or other people who say like, well, no, China's still communist. Totally, they they just have a command economy. And then other people saying, well, no, they're, they're now basically a sort of a totalitarian capitalist society and stuff. So very much so, you can see all these breakdowns that start to take place. Now, would you say that that is where we start getting this negative and verbally and sometimes physically violent behavior? Absolutely. That's a... That's a good gateway because to tweak your point a little bit, people don't say, I like a certain grouping better. The toxicity starts coming in when they say, well, this is better. To give you an example, the during the 2016 election, 
the Bernie bro term got very popular because Bernie Sanders gathered a lot of political support and all those people started becoming Bernie bros because that's what the term the media was using them for was and everybody identified them as we are Bernie bros and we love Bernie Sanders. When Bernie Sanders did not get the nomination, that turned into Bernie or bust. People immediately went from we are people who like a Democrat to we only like this Democrat. And if it's not that Democrat, well, the world can go to hell. To take that into Star Trek, there are people who started out with Star Trek, the original series is the greatest Star Trek there is. And we love that. And that's what should be celebrated. And we just finished our 50th anniversary. And we are all culminating under the one umbrella that Star Trek The Original Series is incredible and great. And nothing will ever top that. And this slowly turned into, over the last year, Discovery is not real Star Trek people. People who came in and said, how can some show that uses modern CGI and these hyper progressive plots and extremely violent plot lines. How can, how dare they tell me what Star Trek is? I'm going to tell you what Star Trek is. It's not Discovery. Discovery is not real Star Trek. I'm not going to watch it. And I don't know if you can see this, but there is that idea within both these lines that you take a specific definition, you form your click based on that definition and then you start waging war on people of other definitions by trying to push up your version of what this franchise or political party is supposed to be. You divide and congregate. Something kind of interesting about that is when TOS came out, it actually produced a certain type of continuity, right? Of course, as the canon was forming itself, you know, uh, James Kirk's middle name, first initial changed, um, you know, the Federation came with a better name, Spock became less emotional versus very emotional, you know, from the pilot to the rest of the series. A lot of things did change within that, definitely, but a theory of Star Trek was put forward. And that continuity, I would say, was cartoonish but still characterized in the animated series now a lot of people see the animated series as apocrypha but where i'm getting at here is the next generation though faithful to certain elements of the original star trek represents a rupture so we had a continuity and then we had a rupture and that rupture changed what star trek was to a degree it maintained some things but it let go of some other pieces of course, Deep Space Nine is another rupture point. A, a couple other changes start taking place, but there still was very much a stronger continuity there. We had Voyager, which I think was a bit of a return to some older continuities. Uh, I think it maintained things. Then we had another rupture, which was Enterprise. Now, that followed in, you know, kind of the, the period where a lot of prequels were taking place anyways, so it makes sense that they would do that. But it still maintained a certain continuity from the the TNG rupture that I would talk about um, and try to incorporate more of TOS into that. And then Discovery came. And now, yes, it appears in a time of... uh, of Game of Thrones sort of styling and and the kind of much more shock value, high CGI sort of stuff that we're used to that we wouldn't find boring. And it represents a new rupture, a rupture not in philosophy more so, but in visuals, in effects, in imagining characters, uh, and, and maybe even challenging some things that we thought would never break 
under any new ruptures. So I hope that's made sense, Shashank. Am, am I, am I, are we following on that? No, you're still keeping the thread going. If I were to point out something, though, for a rupture to actually happen, for something to cause into a schism, there has to be pull from both sides. To take your rupture analogy and to give it more context, I would argue that the rupture is entirely in our heads. Because when TNG came out, there were still original series cast movies happening, right? Undiscovered Country came out in 91. And by that time, TNG was on to season four. You know, it's it's incredibly bizarre to me that all of the old materials, the canon still exists. Nobody has taken anything away from that. Nobody said canon is not canon anymore. If anything, canon got more value because it now has a successor. But people take this, I want to cling to the idea of old and immediately abandon the new to a whole new level by using franchises and politics as their particular jumping off platform. And that's where the idea of that divide comes in is there were people back when slavery was existing who were opposed to slavery. And there are people today in a world so far removed from slavery that actually think slavery was a good idea. And there, are, there is that rupture that existed entirely in their heads that has now carried over from social practices to culture to politics to now our fandoms. So all, all of that break is merely in our heads. And that clinging to old, abandoning the new is really what is causing about 95% of these ruptures. So what I would say with that, and, and kind of again following through what you're talking about, um, maybe we should stop talking about people who are, you know, canonistas or saying it's not canon. I would actually start, and this is actually a leftist term, so Star Trek community, if you guys want to start using it, don't feel like you're leftists, but it's a good one. It's called revisionist. Now, it would sound seem like, well, no, discovery is, is the revision, right? It's a revision. Well, no, it's a rupture from a former continuity. So... When, and just to take us all through a real slow kind of arc of what I'm talking about here, Marxism created a continuity, a way of seeing the world. Leninism applied that in real life, so it was a rupture from that former continuity. So if anyone says, well, no, I'm not a Leninist, I'm a Marxist, they're actually revisionists, because Lenin, Leninism was the next step. From there, Maoism takes Leninism and ruptures from it and makes a brand new version. So anyone who says that they're a Leninist would be a revisionist to the Maoist. So when I'm saying that, you know, TNG represents a rupture from the original series, anyone who is like, well, no, we have to go back to the original series and only have that, they're revising what Star Trek now is. Um, they're not they're not allowing its progression through history, through time, through pop culture in this sense. And I would also argue that the movies from TMP onward were actually sort of like a like a, a before shock to to the rupture, right? I think to to, to a degree, I would say that TMP itself was a rupture from the original two, which actually was sort of like a harbinger of the next generation. So that's why we have the movie franchise and TNG existing, because they actually exist in the same the same rupture um, from the original continuity of TOS. So I've said these two words a lot. So there's a lot of people who might be going, what are you saying to Ford? Basically, where I'm at here is what we're seeing are people who will not let go to the way things were, no matter how flawed they were. And 
can actually even justify some pretty bad behavior trying to pull the clock back, trying to pull things back to where they're once comfortable. But these are progressions, right? We can also call these ruptures progressions. But they're never easy, and they're not really a straight line. So if we saw discovery do poorly or something like that, they'd see like, see, this isn't this isn't right. This is bad. But if we go back to TNG, I mean, TNG had some pretty rough episodes in the first two seasons, and it still pulled it off. It still made it good. So sometimes we have to allow these things to kind of roll out, iron out, maybe even let some uh, <clears throat> code of honor uh, mistakes be made so that people can can kind of get settled into the new groove and and understand kind of where this rupture is going to be going. So anyone who I would say is against discovery in a fandom sense, you can be in a whatever like corporation sense or something. If you're like anti, um, you know, mass media or something, that's a different argument. But if you're just saying I'm a Star Trek fan and I hate discovery because it's not Star Trek, you're a revisionist. That's what you are. You're not a canonista or anything like that. You're basically your counter Star Trek revolutionary. To make one counter argument to the points you make, I largely agree with all of them. But the one problem I have is specific to discovery, if we talk about how discovery might be a rupture, it would not be a rupture because A, it is taking place in a timeline that happens 10 years before everything that happens on the Enterprise starting in the Ocean series. So by definition, it's actually extension, except time is going backward. And the show ended season one by bringing Enterprise in. That was the connection. That was the progression. They're they're connecting those pieces together. And now season two is going to be Pike, Spock, and Enterprise. So really, the argument that you're making about how Discovery is not real Star Trek, even though it is extending that real Star Trek that you know and love so much, that that do you see that illogical almost paradoxical idea that there is that rupture even though all they're doing is actually trying to fix a previous rupture by giving it more context well i would i would actually say that that's the nature of a rupture right when a political ideology advances to a new stage and a new level it can't be what it was perfectly because what it was doesn't stick anymore And that's where I'm saying it's a rupture. No, you're absolutely right that Discovery is coming back around, but it will be imagining elements of the original series now from this modern iteration of Star Trek, not the past. And that's okay, because it doesn't take away the essence of what Star Trek is. It's building it further. And if I'm to use the leftist analogy, because that's where I come from, right? That's That's my political, where it's coming from. The Maoism that exists as the third rupture from the original Marxist continuity still holds Marxist ideals. It has, however, ruptured. So if it came back around to it for some reason, it couldn't operate the way it once was, right? And that's where you get those people who are frustrated that, you know, well, it doesn't look like the original bridge and it doesn't, you know, the people are acting too fast and quick or they're they're too emotional or there's too many explosions. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you have a problem with that, you're you're being counter to what progression we've seen in in pop culture in fandom and all those sorts of things right like their their frustration comes from more of a yeah a sense that i think you're going to be bringing up here in a second so i don't want to take it away but um maybe i'll 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 sort of tie it in a bit uh we're taking away their teddy bears so once you have your clique or your subgroup 
that you've used successfully to divide and conquer and you've congregated your sub your subgroup that you can now use for whatever to- toxic purposes you might use it for there is essentially right now thanks to social media thanks to a president who uses that to spread toxicity and thanks to the idea that somehow old is good because so much is nostalgia based now there is an infinite continuum in which you can keep expressing these thoughts and for example there is a very well known notorious public figure called ann coulter whose entire existence on public sphere is being anti specific politicians she she's a republican who has been racist and sexist and clearly white supremacist she the, the things that she has said that she has written about and she's very well known for are things that are clearly hateful and toxic and yet this person has millions of followers she's a millionaire she probably has her own show she continues to write books that turn out to be best sellers so there is there is now a place for people like this and that is all thanks to social media and the acceptance of a toxic public leader and the acceptance of well that person is from another time kind of idea and that is the third parallel is that there is you take that subgroup and you successfully bombard all positivity with continuous negativity if i was to take that into franchises there is a radio show for star wars called rebel force radio which is famously misogynist they argue that ray does not have the biological power to use the force they they have made arguments about her her appearance her gender and they have done this about ev- for every character in star wars that is not white and straight and a male so and that those people have thousands of followers and those people make money from their radio show so there is now a successful financial and creative expression that exists infinitely for you to express your subgroups perceived positive thoughts which are actually toxic negative thoughts that are poisoning the rest of the idea of fandom and you are now you now have a place where you can use this gateway over and over and over this um this idea of fandom is is fascinating because of course Shashank and I and dear listener we uh, we participate in in an active sense and you know we take comfort in it we we like to play to a degree right i mean like i don't do this for for any kind of money this is this is for free right like the money that our patrons send goes to the network and the functioning of the network and making sure you know we as a as a group can can you know afford some of the the merchandise and stuff that we send out it's really this is this is all sweat equity and that's what you'll find with most quality star trek podcasts that uh, this is just people doing what they love but it's also a, a form of play right it's an adult form of enjoyment and play and, and stuff like that so you know you're you know shashank you, you mused kind of it has to why you know ann Coulter is so popular or why um rebel force radio has its listeners even though they are an openly misogynistic group and i think what i would say more than anything is this is maybe when play gets a little mean um but it's happening in the adult world where you know people can start 
being even worse than a little kid. And there's no parent to come and say, hey, hey, shush, you know, don't do that. And maybe when we find those comfortable points and comfortable places and we've branched off into our little groups, you know, one thing I found about social media um, when I was researching it uh, for my master's degree is that that, you know, we get that kind of constant gratification from it. It's uh, it's sort of like a, a never-ending ability to satiate the, the kind of stimulation we get from it. So Mark Fisher, um, I would highly recommend reading any of his work, folks. His name is Mark Fisher. Sadly, he he passed away last year, but uh, he wrote some some amazing stuff. He's a, a, a Englishman. Uh, he was a school teacher, and he mentioned something here. He says, many of the teenage students I encountered seem to be in a state of what I call depressive hedonia. Depression is usually characterized as a state of anhedonia, but the condition I'm referring to is constituted not by an inability to get pleasure so much as it by an inability to do anything else except pursue pleasure. And I think in that respect, our fandoms can get out of control in that, you know, the amount, look at the amount of money we spend on, on stuff and, you know, going places and, you know, even, even the, the, like I was talking sweat equity, look at how much time podcasters are putting into their work. So it is a constant stimulation that I think people are looking for. And unfortunately, the more you stimulate that, that tendency, the stronger you're going to need the next hit of it, right? Like, I mean, remember, like, the first time you had candy as a kid, it was blew your mind. But now, I mean, hey, I can down a chocolate bar and not even notice it. I might have an eating uh, issue with chocolate bars, and I do have quite the sweet tooth. But anyways, what I'm trying to get at here is that I think they rile themselves up, um, both individualistically and in a community sense, and get to these points where they are imperceptibly callous because they're just seeking their stimulation. So I think, yeah, I think Ann Coulter does get a kick out of doing what she does. I think Rebel Force Radio does get a kick out of it. And I think their listeners get a kick out of it too, because ultimately they need that level of stimulation now because they've overstimulated themselves. And that's why those of us who take a more casual approach to our fandom and a more community approach, when we get these abusive people, it, uh, it throws us. It it hurts us. It's it's terrifying. It's it's horrible. And uh, no, my heart goes out f- to the uh, listeners out there and to the actors. Anyone who's been affected by it. Speaking of actors, there is in our final parallel almost non-existence of these actors from the people who love either their franchise or politics. Because the final stage of all this, the zenith, if you will, would be that they develop a cult of personality around not the franchise or the political party, but this particular subgroup, this definition, almost to a point where even the people who created the political idea or the people who created the franchise do not matter. For example, Mark Hamill came out in support of the entire Kelly Mary Tran situation. And whatever he said was completely ignored or it did not probably make a speck of difference for the people who seem to be in love and obsessed with the franchise that he has spearheaded. And they now consider him to be in the wrong and they think he's the one who doesn't know what he's talking about, even though he's the one who is one of the big reasons why Star Wars as a franchise exists. And this idea that even the person who came up with the entire idea and the person who represents that idea no longer represents my definition of the idea, leads them 
and actually gives them more fuel for that toxic fandom by saying, look, look what this liberal cuck is doing. Look what this person's doing now by being all anti-Trump online and being pro-female representation, even though that's not what Star Wars is about. And then they start telling you what Star Wars is about. They start telling the person what Star Wars is about. If I was to take that to politics, if, if, if you look at the idea of FDR's New Deal as a concept, people who think that was a Democrat idea will no longer now accept that what they think is the Democrat Party is what FDR's Democrat Party used to be. Or to make a, to take a more recent example, there is a staggering amount of people who voted for Obama in 2012, who then went on and voted for Trump in 2016. Whatever their definition of a good leader was that led them to vote for Obama has now been so attuned to that, that cult of personality idea of these are the things that I want my leader to do. And because that did not, that was not represented by that person, I'm going to vote for the entirely opposite person because for some reason, my cult of personality has taken over logic and now I'm going to vote for him. This, this entire thought process culminates there. And that's how all of, all of these things, these parallels come together to fester and rise and take on a life of their own. And to make one final point just about that parallel, there is an interesting psychology concept about teddy bears. And as a child, you take a teddy bear around the world wherever you go, because that teddy bear is your connection to the world. That teddy bear is your identity when you have no identity as a child. And that is what fandom is, whether you are a fan of politics or a fan of franchises, is whatever your identity is when you wear a starter T-shirt or when you say you're a Hillary supporter and you have a picture with Hillary Clinton as your profile pic, whatever that tangible representation is, that becomes your identity. And because this thing is so volatile and because this identity is so fragile, much like a teddy bear, it can easily be torn apart. And it can be scattered into pieces. And before you know it, it can be taken and reassembled into something that is negative and monstrous and leads people to do bad things. And the idea of fandom is just as positive as it is toxic. And in our situation, we, are, we have to talk more about the negative because that is what we are, we are seeing right now. The teddy bear has been bitten by a zombie and turned into a tiny little monster that's being carried around by a child that is hurting and poisoning people in the world everywhere. And unfortunately, we are all victims of that, even though that was nothing that we started out hoping for in any way when we started becoming fans of either a franchise or a political party. There's a lot <clears throat> to take into that. And I think the one thing that I want to really kind of bring this down to, and I just have it written in my liner notes here, is the word infantile. And you've you've said, you know, like it's this teddy bear analogy that I I I kind of hinted at earlier, and and you've articulated really really well. And I would say, you know, in the terms of fandom and how we articulate it, like look at how I articulated fandom, right? I took leftist ideology and I attributed it to a franchise that exists in a purely capitalistic system that gains revenue off of people and is based on exchange value rather than usage value and all of that sort of stuff. So 
my contradictions laid bare, folks. But in that, I think you've you've brought a really interesting point here, how in that infantile sort of uh, analogy of a teddy bear, you've also looked at how we identify ourselves. And really, what do children do? Their their whole purpose, and I mean, I work with them, is, is they, they seek every single day to show their uniqueness and show their personage, right, who they are. I see, you know, I, I see groups of kids sort of all skewing into different, different cultural groups, even within the school that I teach. And I mean, I even see teachers doing that. And so I think, as we leave childhood, we move out into the real world where we have to sort of adhere more to different mores and stuff like that. But the internet is definitely a place where we can kind of explode that a little bit more, where the rules haven't been been set, or at least how we perceive they have. I mean, that's why Gamergate took place, right? Back in the day, a group of men, young men in their 20s, felt that their personal identity was being threatened by women in the only place that they thought they had a bastion, and that was in video games right? So I think there is sort of an infantile nature to internet culture, social media culture, and how it gets expressed through different things like politics. um, And in our case, in fandom, and this is why we see this toxicity. So one thing I would say more than anything is the people who are being trolls who are being negative and abusive, they're big babies, they're 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 being very infantile in their in their way of, of understanding the world, in their way of, of trying to negotiate uh, through the the very complicated mores of social interaction online. And so a really easy way to gain control of that situation is to be a complete and total asshat. And uh, I, I mean, we see that. Um, you'd mentioned earlier um, a, a person who has taken on the idea of gatekeeper, and I don't, I'm not afraid to say his name, Robert Meyer Burnett, who, who seems to think that anyone who doesn't believe in his version of Star Trek is therefore, you know, incorrect and wrong. Well, he's a grown man, he pays his taxes, but he's being very infantile in this respect. He's not um, appreciating the different nuances. He's not uh, taking into account the ruptures that have taken place in Star Trek, even in his own, you know, uh, ascribed fandom. And, you know, in that infantile nature, you're not really understanding the contradictions and, you know, the fact that, yeah, I mean, ultimately, when we bring this down, it's modern mythology, it's a franchise, and it can be whatever you want it to be, really, in your own head, just allow other people to do the same. And if we were to conclude this, the the entire idea is to bring it back to Trek. But before I do, I just want you to know and people who are listening to know, I'm not afraid to say Mr. Burnett's name. I just don't want to give him the time of day. I don't want to give that identity the time of day anymore. So that is why I did. Yeah, you're right. So that <laughs> That's to him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's why I, I did not take his name. But if I was to bring this back to Star Trek, while doing the research for all this, I came to the conclusion that that's why in all of Star Trek, in that post-scarcity universe, there actually are no nerds. There are no worshippers of a fictional franchise or worshippers of a certain political party. There are no people whose identity is defined by something that exists as a concept that they can love purely in terms of entertainment or politics. The only people that do exist are very clearly supposed to be metaphors for religion. So I think the writers of Star Trek over time realized as the shows went by that 
because may actually maybe because they were victims of this toxic fandom in some way that they realized well in a universe 300 years from now where we would have eradicated racism and we would have eradicated animal cruelty and there would be no such thing as hunger or material want or need there would actually be no nerds because that toxic fandom that idea to worship something fictitious and then make that fictitious thing your definition of that fictitious thing would not exist and that's why i think in that post scarcity universe there really isn't a lot of fandom or nerddom if we were to look back in time if we could plop ourselves you know 700 years into the past i think a lot of us would be mortified by the lifestyle you know if we weren't affected say like by the imminent threat of disease and and stuff like that and just you know the slightest injury could you know kill you from bacterial infections and all that crazy stuff from back in the day i think we would be somewhat mortified with the way they thought and acted and all these sorts of things but also i would argue that if we went into the future we might also be mortified because there might be just a smoldering hellscape left behind. Or if humanity does continue moving, I would say also we might be bored, especially if they got their poop in a group and got things figured out. Because, I mean, ultimately that's what Star Trek is. And I wonder if, if someone, you know, we idealize this this better future, this shining, uh, beautiful future that's going to be moving forward as we go forward and yeah i mean it won't have as many of the ups and downs right the the tragedy of of just you know living day to day might not necessarily have the same immediate material effect on us right if i mean i think i think life would get a little i mean nicely boring for some people who you know could have a house and food and not have to choose between the two and do all those sorts of things. So you're right, Shashank, I think to a degree, fandom might disappear. Those sort of frivolities might end up going by the wayside if we start realizing the things that we truly cherish, right? What does Riker own? A trombone. And some some amazing, amazingly scant and sexy nightgowns that I want some hands on because they're amazing. It's, it's very interesting that you bring up Riker's trombone because Picard owns a flute. And there are, there are just these musical instrument references that uh, TNG and DS9 keep going back to. Anyway, if I, I do, before we end our episode, I do want to let everyone know that this is not the show that you'll hear the next time. We'll go back to bringing out the politics and social ideology in specific Star Trek things. This will, it'll not be a skewering discussion on something that is not just Star Trek, but almost goes out into all franchises. But I, I brought this up with Barry. He was happy enough to oblige and contribute to this episode and not completely throw the idea away. I, I hope our listeners will also be kind enough to listen to us, be civil about our discussions as, as they pointed it out. If you are willing to be civil, you can find me on at Shashankavaru, that's S-H-A-S-H-A-N-K-A-V-V-A-R-U on Twitter. I love having conversations that are friendly, nice, and respectful, and I would welcome all your comments and feedback, both negative and positive. What about you, Barry? Well, you can find me at B-J-O-R-N-D-E-F-J-O-R-D on Twitter. You can also find our, our show at Politrex, both on Twitter and Facebook and through the tricordertransmissions.com. If you don't feel like articulating things uh, digitally, you can always do it um, via uh, sending us a voicemail at 609-512-LLAP, 609-512-5527. 
And uh, of course, if you uh, found this conversation somewhat heavy, there's some always fantastic lighter fare and sometimes even deeper diver fare as well, which is pretty delightful. Uh, I'm really looking forward to tucking into the uh, uh, Disco Trek Saru episode um, pretty soon. So just a little heads up there, folks. And uh, if not, you can go do some Trek ranking or uh, some reading and, and weekly Trek and Trek profiles and all the rest is there. And if you're still without uh, full capacity Trektum, you can always check out our friends Dan and Bill over at the Trek Geeks podcast. This was uh, an interesting episode. That is all I have to say right now. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I really do think so. And I would really like to see this conversation continue, folks. I'm also willing to debate marks with anyone if they want um, good or bad. Uh, it's always good to talk. So uh, I would say with that, live long and prosper. And onward to start siding.